Living Corporate is brought to you by Canaries. Let me tell you about Canaries. Canaries is a tech company formed in 2018 by black founders who experienced inequities in the corporate world like most of us in the workplace. They saw typical diversity initiatives, but knew that to create systemic change, diversity, equity, and inclusion needed to be done differently. They're still ahead of the curve, focusing on the E and the I using a data-driven approach. Think Canary in the Coal Mine. The name is a nod to the canaries coal miners used to bring into mines to determine if the work environment was safe or undesirable. That's what they do for companies. They help you find the folks you need to listen to, the canaries, who will help you diagnose, measure, and attack your DEI challenges. Canaries has your back. Check them out at www.canaries.com backslash employer. That's www.kanarys.com backslash employer. Living Corporate is brought to you by Black Men in Tech. Black Men in Tech's mission is to elevate the voice of black men in the technology space by offering year-round engagement opportunities and philanthropic contributions for people and the black community, the neighborhood. In the tech industry, black men regularly struggle to access networking and career advancement opportunities. At Black Men in Tech 2021, they are partnering with their allies to create a safer space where black men can share their experiences authentically. Through this effort, Black Men in Tech hopes to share knowledge that can be used by black attendees to overcome race-based obstacles while also offering non-black allies the chance to learn how they can be more supportive of their melanated colleagues. To learn more about the Black Men in Tech conference that will be happening on June 19th at 1 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, check them out at blackmenintech.com. That's B-L-K-M-E-N-I-N-T-E-C-H dot com. Black Men in Tech. What's up, y'all? This is Zach with Living Corporate. You're listening to this, and I just want you to know that I see you, right? I see you looking to uh, survive, to thrive, uh, to take care of yourself, to take care of your family. I recognize that this work, the work that you have, the job that you have is not easy. Uh, Seeking to survive... (laughs) Seeking to have peace, seeking to have rest is not easy. I recognize that microaggressions and macroaggressions are real things. And I recognize that you're likely not getting paid the amount of money that you want to be getting paid. And you're likely not at the level that you believe you should be at. I recognize. I hear you. I get that. I see you. And I want you to know that there's nothing wrong with being frustrated, angry, and ultimately choosing to reject systems and spaces that don't serve you. There is no better time to be looking for a new job than right now. And I would encourage you, whoever you are listening to this, to look up and look elsewhere. Even if you're happy where you're at, look up and look elsewhere anyway. It's just a good time to do it. The market is on fire. For those who know how to engage the market. And so this is a, an extended way to say, I hope that you're engaging uh, the tap in with Tristan. I hope that you're listening to 
liberated love notes. I hope that you're listening to the leadership range. I hope that you're reading blogs on uh, living corporate's platform. I hope that you're catching up on shows on uh, livingcorporate.tv. I hope that you're engaging and educating yourself and that you're growing. You're challenging yourself to be better. Not just for the sake of betterment's sake alone, but because you deserve it. You deserve to be at your best. And I'm confident that there's something in Living Corporate's network to help you be better. You know, it's interesting. Uh, I just, as we've talked about this a little bit, I just exited uh, Big Four Consulting a couple months ago now. It's been a little over two months since I have uh, left professional services. And I'm, uh, I was on uh, a social networking app and I saw um, someone um, post this resignation email. Or really it wasn't a resignation email because this person was essentially shown the door. But before they turned the email off, she sent this huge blast, right? Like blasting the company. Um, and uh, it was great. Like it was great. And so what I'm going to do, <laughs> I'm going to read this email. All right. I'm going to read this email. And then we're going to talk about why I read the email and what application I believe there is for us in this email. All right. So again, context. This is a consultant from PwC PricewaterhouseCoopers. She uh, left. Uh, she was pushed out the door after not getting promoted. And um, she wrote this. She wrote this resignation email. And so we're going to read it. We're going to read it right now. So the subject line is open letter to my colleagues, a personal note on discrimination at PwC. Dear friends and colleagues, unfortunately, today is my last day at the firm. Many of you have reached out to me over the past few months, but I have not responded to your notes. This is not because I have fallen out of our friendship, but because I have lost faith in what our firm stands for. And here's why. Our firm discriminated against me by repeatedly denying me a promotion because I am a black woman who was not born in the U.S. When I complained about this discrimination, the firm retaliated against me, which culminated in my termination today. I have shared my story below and hope you will take the time to read it. About 12 months ago, as our country and the world experienced a social movement and reckoning over racism, our leaders seized every opportunity to tell us that they were rallying behind the end of race discrimination, in particular in the workplace. At the same time, however, they're also denying me a promotion to director for the third time because of my race, color, national origin, and sex. The partners and director's team that helped me prepare my case worked with me to escalate this injustice at top levels of our firm. Every single leader, FS and diversity inclusion leader, FS is financial services, FS leader, strategy and leader, and a few more chose to look the other way to protect the other few partners who have, who had been untruth, who had been using untruthful facts to misinterpret my performance and relationships with clients during career roundtables in May 2019, November 2019, and May 2020. Behind the facade of its outward messaging regarding diversity, inclusion, and anti-discrimination, PwC fosters a work culture that stifles the development of black, female, and 
and non-native born employees, preventing them from achieving promotions and advancing within the firm. This comes as no surprise when we look at the composition of the PwC leadership team, which fosters a discriminatory culture. She continues, the U.S. leadership team comprised of 19 members is staffed with only one black woman and two black men. The U.S. Board of Partners comprised of 22 members has only one black man among its members. As for Strategy Ann, there's only one black man and not a single woman amongst 23 global leaders. Now she continues forward with these rhetorical questions. Aren't we religiously telling our clients that effective diversity and inclusion starts at the top? Aren't we telling our executive clients that they have to walk the talk to lead real cultural change? So why is it that we keep talking the talk and placing our quote unquote efforts in programs that do not drive any real change in the status of black people at this firm? As someone who specializes in culture and gives his very advice to our clients, I find myself unable to escape this dissonance between what I tell them to do and what I know PwC has failed to do internally. As for the third discriminatory denial of my promotion, I was the only black left within financial service strategy and non-leadership team. As one partner put it at the time, quote, you are the last one standing, end quote. Why is it that being black at this firm has to be a constant uphill battle to prove you deserve your seat? Why is it that I have had to consistently wait one to two more years on average to get the acknowledgement and promotions that my peers have gotten when I keep bringing stellar performance reviews into CRTs, career roundtables? This is to say that discrimination has been a reality for me for a long time and has simply reached the point where my constant optimism can no longer make sense out of it. It has been a toxic force that does everything it can to take away your dignity, make you feel weak, portray you as a poor performer and third class consultant, prevent you from bringing your authentic self to work. It's not enough to be a great team player and high performer. You have to, quote, put who you are to the side. Remind me, what is D&I again? Push you out of the firm because not even our leaders would stand up to do the right thing. During the May 2020 social movement, one partner reached out to me after being summoned to saying, quote, name, I read Maya Angelou's Caged Bird, end quote. What? To every non-black partner and staff at this firm, we do not need you to tell us about the black stories or authors you're reading or the black friends that you have or the African countries you have visited. What we need is for you to demonstrate true empathy when you see unfairness being done to a black employee. Stand up, speak up, call out. Call out your colleagues on the offenses that they're perpetrating. I would not be in this position feeling I must speak up and call out PwC's hypocrisy to all of you if the partners in the CRT room had spoken up and called out their peers when they saw them derail the process for my CRT reviews, which led to a biased outcome. That offenders rarely get held accountable goes beyond the fact that our partners and leaders sadly do not speak up when they should. The firm continuously protects those offenders, leaving more black, female, and other minority employees at their mercy. How may you wonder? Go take a look at the contract PwC made you sign. PwC forces employees to sign binding arbitration agreements that rob them of their ability to have their day in court and to publicly call out PwC's discriminatory, retaliatory, and otherwise unlawful conduct. As a result, it is no surprise that PwC makes little to no change to its policies, procedures, and practices, despite the multiple cases that have been filed for discrimination and retaliation. I will leave you with this. Sexual harassment used to be hidden under such keep-it-secret arbitration agreements until the Me Too movement. 
Many leading companies, including Google and PwC, excluded it from the arbitration agreement as a result of social pressure. That being said, Google also excluded race discrimination from its arbitration agreements, recognizing how much hiding discrimination at work behind the veil of confidential arbitration hindered the career advancement of black employees. Why is it that our firm, a leader in its own territory, claiming to be a leader for our cross-industry national and global clients, cannot take the same simple step when it comes to ending racism and discrimination in the workplace? How much longer would our leaders turn away from doing the right thing to protect themselves if they knew they could be held publicly accountable? When will they finally do something that actually moves the needle and makes this firm a place where black and other minorities don't have to do three times more to prove their worth? Dear colleagues and friends, I've enjoyed working with many of you and wish you the best of luck. Hopefully we can stay in touch in good hope. And then her name. So I read this email one because I found it riveting and this was two weeks old. And at first I was going to hop on this and like read it as soon as it came out. But nah, because I really wanted to process the information for myself and like grapple with the frustration, the hurt, the pain that this person wrote. And then also say this was my experience, right? This is the experience of several black folks, not just in professional services, not just in tech, but at work. It is. And it's important for you to understand as an interesting side note, right? These systems aren't even built to be held accountable like and to be fixed. Why do I say that? So I got this email from a bunch of different people, right? Like they sent me screenshots, they forwarded me stuff, they sent pictures and it made its way to Reddit. All right. It went viral. Now, fast forward like a day later, I'm getting mad calls and texts about the fact that the email has been deleted from the company server and that Reddit post got deleted, too. Right. Further, <laughs> I was on this social platform and it was a, a, a company that Live Incorporated has since ceased its relationship with because they enable white supremacy, too. But it was just interesting that that company shadow banned the link as well. The link, which was the Reddit post, which talked about the email and the Reddit post also got deleted and the email got deleted from the company server. Right. So my point is that these systems, they oftentimes they work together in concert and coordination to protect themselves from any type of accountability, which also speaks to the power of our voice. Right. I think it's important to remember that these systems are designed to do exactly what uh, the author of this said. These systems are designed to take away your dignity, to make you feel weak, to portray you as a poor performer or a lesser than employee and to prevent you from being your authentic self. These systems are designed to break you and designed to assimilate you into um, an acceptable mold of uh, the white majority, which is why oftentimes when you see the black folks that typically do well in corporate spaces or who have long histories of being um, hailed and celebrated by uh, the oppressor class, they often take on characteristics of the oppressor class. They're often, they often model uh, white supremacy culture behaviors. 
Um, and if you're curious about white supremacy culture, you can listen to my interview with uh, Dr. Uh, Tima Okun, who talked, to, who talks about, who's the author of uh, white supremacy culture. So phenomenal piece, phenomenal um, research and writing. All this being said is I want you to understand that the most powerful thing that you have is your voice. You know, this whole notion that we're going to change the system from the inside is um, a an insulting fairy tale. We cannot uh, dismantle the house with the master's tools. We cannot fix white supremacy or make it better. Um, these systems are here to be dismantled. And it's important for you to understand that for you to be truly free um, is to reject these systems outright. Now, some of y'all going to hear that and y'all going to say, oh, you being too radical. Now nah, I got a blah, blah, blah. But I, I feel like I'm going to hit at least a couple people who hear what I'm saying. And so what does rejection really look like? What is rejection of oppressive systems? What what does it really mean to pursue liberation? And I'm going to tell y'all, <laughs> I don't have a perfect answer. But I will say it starts with um, rejecting spaces and rejecting um, environments that are clearly aiming to do you harm. You owe it to yourself to respect yourself enough. You should respect yourself enough to pursue spaces that are not harmful to you. Right. I talk to people all the time and they don't realize it, but they're trapped. They're trapped in these spaces because uh, so many of us, right, we're, we're first generation professionals. We're first generation college graduates. We're first gen We're the first in our families to even make, you know, $80,000, let alone six figures. Right. So we get complacent and we get uh, we get afraid and we stay. We live in fear. We live in the fear of speaking up. We live, we live in the fear of uh, white gaze and making anybody with power up too upset that we may, in fact, lose our position. And then some of us, I, I have to say, want to be white. And I'm going to tell y'all, um, <laughs> there is nothing that you can do to outperform white supremacy. I need you to really internalize that. You cannot outperform it. You can't beat it. Some of us even try to put on whiteness, thinking that we can fit in with whiteness only for that not to work. And then we're even more bitter and upset and confused than we were before. I'm going to tell you, putting on whiteness will only get you so far, but it's never going to get you what you want. It may get you something. It won't get you what you want. I say all this to say I'm really excited about the guest that we have today, Dr. Monica Cox. Dr. Monica Cox is someone that I have followed here. Um, we, we've known of each other for some years. I love the work that she does. Um, I love her thought leadership. She's been a guest on Living Corporates, uh, the group chat, our live show some time ago talking about um, talking about psychological safety, talking about effective allyship, talking about effective DEI. But 
Um, she's a professor of engineering and education at Ohio State University. Um, she's the first woman, the first black woman to earn tenure in engineering at Purdue. Um, and, and, and one of her several accolades is that she won uh, the 2008 Presidential Early Career Award for Scientists and Engineers. So uh, Dr. Cox is wildly certified and credentialed um, by these by academic standards. What I enjoyed about our conversation was her rejection of systems that have proven her harm. And so I found our discussion to be encouraging, affirming, and timely. And, and I, I want you all to hear it and listen and, and just think about what systems can you reject in your day to day? What affirmation can you stand in? And how can you affirm your own humanity today by rejecting people dehumanizing you or seeing it for you to be any less than your authentic self? Now, before we get in this conversation, we're going to tap in with Tristan. So I'm going to see you in a second. What's going on, Living Corporate? It's Tristan, and I want to thank you for tapping back in with me as I provide some tips and advice for professionals. Today, let's talk about three things you shouldn't say in an interview if you want a job offer. When we are interviewing, everything we say affects the hiring manager's impression of us. While in the moment, we can provide answers that we were confident about, but upon reflection, they make us a little nervous. That's why preparing for an interview is essential and as much about what you shouldn't say as it is about what you should. So let's talk about a couple of things you should try to avoid saying if you want to land that job offer. First up is, in five years, I see myself in your position. While this may very well be true, it more than likely won't be received well. Initially, it could sound like you're coming for them and their job, and no one likes to feel threatened. If it's not taken that way, they could assume that you see yourself doing their role at another company, which means they think you'll jump ship and aren't committed to the organization. Instead, discuss how you envision yourself growing within the company, skills that make you qualify for the role you're interviewing for, and how you can expand your skill set to become a greater resource. Next up is, my biggest weakness is that I'm a perfectionist. This answer is a cliche and a total cop-out. Hiring managers ask these questions to understand your level of self-awareness and your drive for self-development. When responding to the weakness question, I always suggest choosing and discussing something that you truly need to improve on, but you've already been working on improving or have a plan to improve. The last thing you shouldn't say is, can you tell me more about the company? This question can take many forms, including what does your company do or what is your company's mission? In asking these type of questions, you're telling the interviewer that you didn't do your research, which negatively impacts their first impression of you. Instead, try to be more specific with your line of questioning, and for the love of all things holy, do not ask a question you can easily find the answer to on Google. Interviews are all about impressions and are the ultimate determinant of if you'll land the job. You may be the most qualified candidate for the role, but if you can't sell that in an interview, you'll more than likely be overlooked for the job. This tip was brought to you by Tristan of Layfield Resume Consulting. Check us out on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Layfield Resume, or connect with me, Tristan Layfield, on LinkedIn. At Living Corporate, we often talk about how we as black folks show up at work and how these corporate power structures impact how we show up. But we know 
when work ends, we come home, log off, and have to show up at home for our families and communities. And as a black man, I often turn to Let's Talk, bruh, for their real, honest, and healing conversations on black masculinity, mental health, and patriarchy. Let's Talk, bruh, or LTB, is a platform that creates content around black masculinity and the impact of patriarchy in black communities. In other words, Let's Talk Bruh is having real conversations that black men need to hear and be a part of. Let's Talk Bruh creates interactive, healing, and learning experiences with black men and male socialized folks of all sexual orientations and gender identities. Through their content and community-based programs, Let's Talk Bruh seeks to reduce patriarchal violence in our community and provide support to those most impacted by patriarchal violence, specifically black women, girls, femmes, queer, trans, non-binary, and gender non-conforming people. Tap in at letstalkbruh.com. To be clear, that's letstalkbruh.com. So brothers, what are you waiting for? Let's talk, bruh. Dr. Cox, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Thank you. How are you? You know what? I'm I'm okay. I'm doing better. You know what I mean? I'm transitioning to new opportunity. I'm making moves. You know what I mean? Living corporate is growing. Um, wife is good. Baby girl is good. Oh, yeah. Congratulations. And by the way, you can call me Monica. I noticed, you know, some people call me Dr. Cox or whatever, but for the sake of this interview, just call me Monica. I'm going to call you Monica, but actually, it's like a really good transition into like the first thing I want to talk about. Because, see, I, when, I, when I talk to and I meet black academics, like I really try to I try to honor or, or make note of their their um, the honorific of, of doctor because they earned it. And there's so many from what I see. Just again, I'm not in the academic space, right? I'm not in the ivory. But the conversation I have, as well as just like what I'm seeing on social media, it seems like disrespect is so common for black academics like. Can you talk to me a bit about your perspective on the ivory and why, based on, because I've, I've been looking at your profile, just why you, why you have the positions you have on white academia? Yeah. Um, so first of all, thanks for having me again. I just, I, I say that numerous times because I love talking about this topic and I appreciate people who, who are not afraid to explore this. Um, so man, when I think about like the ivory tower, as people would say, it's really a, it's really a country club and we don't often think about it, but you know, it has its rules. It has, it has its systems. And when we enter that environment, you know, we are expected to, um, to assimilate, to code switch, you know, to really be a part of, of the culture. And I love the fact that academia is a place where you can explore the research and the work that you want to do. And it's also a place to connect with people who are, doing great work and are committed to educating the, the next generation of, of students. But I think my platform, which is very much focused on being authentic in the, the ivory tower, is it pushes against that notion a lot. And, um, you know, I think it's, it's just hard. It's, it's just hard to, to be that person. And so a lot of my platform is how do you remain true to yourself and come out whole at the end of it, despite the the issues that people of color, particularly women of color, particularly black women face in the academy. And so then, you know, to your whole point around like 
maintaining or coming back to yourself and recognizing the person that you come back to. Mm -hmm. Talk to me about experiences that you've had that maybe challenge that, that have challenged you to not, that have challenged you to be, to maintain your wholeness um, in academia. Like what is that, what has that been like for you uh, specifically? Yeah, there are so many. I might have to narrow this down. I'm just, I'm just trying to think because it's, it's so holistic. Um, and so some of the challenges come back to, let me, let me just back up for a little bit. So I am the daughter of educators who grew up in Alabama and lived in Alabama, you know, during the civil rights movement and in growing up with parents who, who understood inequities and, and really fought to make sure that everyone had an opportunity to be educated like that, that was my upbringing. And so I would say that some of my issues come from being the daughter of my parents, meaning that when I walk in a room, I think that I am just as good as anyone else. I think that my qualifications should speak for me. And I think that I have a right to have a seat and a voice at the table. And just being, if I could use that word, being sometimes is just very offensive to people. And I, I want to say that I don't think that people even sometimes realize how their biases come out during that time. And so in a nutshell, I think that what I'm doing is pushing against a system, pushing against biases, pushing against ways of thinking and being that do not include Black women or Black women who who value themselves and know that they have a right to everything that the U.S. Constitution says that we have a right to have and has a right to be and live just as anyone else would. And it's it's what's sad. And I think, you know, for me coming up, I used to think that for some I don't know why I thought this, but just like, you know, in academics, like that would be a space where some of the nonsense of in the of the corporate world would not permeate or extend to because it's like, you know, we're talking about just facts. We're talking about, you know, it's a place where people should really just respect your intelligence. I mean, you have this PhD, like we all have PhDs. This was this was several, several years ago. I realized that is like certainly not the case. What I'm curious about, Dr. Cox, is, you know, there seems to be also be this this there's a there's a an assumption or a, like there's there, there is like this unspoken assumption that black academics um if they're unless that, that these aren't really experiences for those who aren't in some type of like diversity and inclusion or leadership type specialty but your background is engineering you know like it's what would you say to those who who can't who don't understand that black academics have these challenges, black and brown academics have these challenges. We're specifically talking about black women here though. They have these challenges in all of academia, irrespective of specialization or background. Yeah. You know, I want people to realize that higher ed and organizations are still very hierarchical. They're very bureaucratic and you have to separate the intellectual freedom 
the academic freedom that we have from the systems in which we work, because systems are still systems. Um, you still have to get promoted within, you know, it's like, no, it's this. You have to enter the system, first of all. You think about what it takes to enter. Well, people are looking to make to to judge whether you're qualified to be a member. And that means looking at the quality of your scholarship, looking at your potential to succeed in the system. And then once you're in there, you know, people are looking at promotion and they're looking at tenure. And so do we want to keep you? Do we want, do we think that you are someone who should remain among us? You know, so it's very, you, you do play the game. You have to play the game to get in. You have to play the game to stay in. But there is a point, and I'll talk about this as a Black woman full professor. Like when you're a full professor, um, that means that you no longer have to kind of prove in a way that you deserve to stay. You know, it's like there are ranks, assistant professor, you're coming in, um, then you get tenure. And once you're tenured, you know, that is kind of the golden apple, so to speak. And so you see so few Black women in the full professor ranks. But when you see us, that means that we are now at those senior leadership tables in the faculty departments. We are at the tables that are determining who is being hired. And so we're deciding who really enters the club. And I think and to sum it all up, it's just hard to get to that point. That is what we're working for. And, and that's where the tension comes in between trying to get in and hope that people will evaluate you equitably um, so that you can stay in. But then once you're there, what are you going to do with the power that you have and with the opportunities to educate people but also bring new people into a system that can be really rough. You know, off mic, we talked to you, you, you shared something you said, Hey, you know, cause well, hold on for fuller context. We talked about the fact I was going through some challenges, which slowed me down in coordinating with you. And we kind of went back and forth. It was like, okay, push this day, push this day. Finally, you were like, Zach, Todd, are you playing with my time? Don't talk to me. No more. That's not what you said. But I mean, I was like, okay, <laughs> I apologize. Uh, and I said, I said, okay. And so then, you know, you came back, you know, on the group chat, uh, which was super fire talking about um, talking about just uh, black folks uh, treatment, academia. Uh, we kind of, we alluded to talked around that a bit. I uh, talked about effective uh, organizational leadership. Um, so what I'm curious about though, is something that you stated, which like stuck with me. I was like, make sure to ask when his mic's turned on, you said, had you interviewed me a year ago, I would have been very different than I am today. So like, talk to me about the past 12 months, what it is that you've, you know, what's been going on. I know, of course, we continue, we continue to have the, we have a continuous uh, trauma through uh, the brutalization of black bodies uh, sanctioned by the state. Um, we had, uh, we've had an insurrection um, mobilized, it seems by, um, or rather at least, uh, co at least supported by and coordinated, su coordinated, supported by members of our own, some of our own elected officials. We've had, of course, a whole new, uh, presidential regime change, but then at the same time, this new uh, president uh, presidential cabinet seems to be doing some of the sim similar things that the last uh, regime was doing. I mean, there's a lot of stuff that's happened over the past year is my point. Talk to me about what these past 12 months have done for you and why you feel like you're this different person. Yeah. Um, so 
before the pandemic, even before last year, I feel that I was always really outspoken, you know, always saying things like, you know, let's call things out. Let's have authentic conversations. Let's really um, dig into some of the injustices and the problems that are happening in the academy. And I just saw like even among several of my peers, even those who look like me, um, you know, people just were cautious, really, really cautious. And it's like, let's don't rock the boat. And I don't always know if people like intentionally said, let's don't rock the boat, but it, but the action said it, the actions were very much, um, you know, yeah, we know stuff is happening, but let's just turn the other way. And I feel that last year or even over the past year, more people have come out to say this is unacceptable. I see people being braver. I think I see particularly black academics, particularly black women who you know are, have always been brave in my opinion, but I just I see intensity and it just feels really good to know that I am no longer alone. You know, I think it was just really easy to label me and to say so many bad things about who I was just because I would call things out. But I also feel that that was a tactic to get rid of me and to silence me and to push me out so that people could continue doing what they were doing. And so in summary, I just, it feels good to have been at the forefront of what is catching on right now. But I hope that we can sustain whatever this momentum is because the persecution is coming. I feel, you know, the the scrutiny is coming. And to do this work, you have to be extremely courageous and deliberate and um, unapologetic about it. And so talk to me about, you know, it's interesting. I've been in situations where, you know, you, you know, you're advocating for, for equitable treatment or you're, you know, you're speaking up. And I, I experience it quite often, frankly, with living corporate, you know, how many times do you have folks that look like us pull you aside and be like, you're doing too much, or, you know, this is kind of dangerous or <laughs> I rock with you, but I can't really, I'm not going to say anything out loud. Cause I ain't trying to mess up, blah, blah, blah. Like talk to me about that. And like, what that's been like for you, if you've experienced that at all. Yes, you are. <laughs> I'm laughing, I'm laughing. Because I think that's the story everywhere. I've really had a chance to think about this. And I just want to break it down a little bit. Um, So I want to talk about this concept that I've realized this past year about insiders and outsiders. And like the, the biggest example I can kind of give you or a clear example I can give you is when you look at politics, an insider would be Kamala Harris. You know, she um, has been vetted, you know, through the system. And she's, you know, in a position of authority um, as vice president. It's, it's, it's really a big thing, but she still has to operate within the confines of that role because, I mean, she does represent everyone as she should, but, you know, she is, you know, like I said, in that role. And, on the other hand, when you're looking at outsider, I think about someone like a Stacey Abrams. And Stacey Abrams, you know, was 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 um 
was campaigning to be governor of Georgia. It did not happen, but she looked at the voter suppression and she's like, hold it, something else needs to happen here. Like maybe I'm going to shift a little bit and focus on, you know, the justice aspects. And so those are two very important roles, but the way that you respond in those roles is very different. And so I bring that back to your original question where you're talking about, you know, what, what this is about. And I think that when we look at us as, I'll, I'll say black people, you know, we, we sometimes are in those roles within an organization. Sometimes we're the outsider where we don't have seats at the table, uh, where we don't create the policies, but we're able to somehow communicate in ways that are bigger than what's on the inside. And I think what has happened is that we sometimes don't understand the power of being in either of those positions, but knowing that together we can really impact change and you know, it's just awareness and it's understanding. And I think people are sometimes very afraid when they're on the inside, you know, you get your titles, you have your, your, your money, you have your accolades and to stay in that system, you have to turn the other way. Sometimes you have to show that you belong. And I just don't know if there are many ways for people to be free but also align with policies that promote everyone genuinely. Yeah, you know, so it's it's interesting that you that you say that. I, I think for me, and I, I haven't been wrong yet. I'm gonna be honest with you. Every time, you know, so if I when I so I've, I've been around, right? I've been a few different places. Um, I was in consulting for several years, but I was at a couple different firms, and every time, um. I would meet somebody and they had been with their company for like, you know, let's say like 10 plus years. This was a black person. They've been at 10 plus years, nine times out of 10, they were not going to really support me for real on the like liberation piece. They're not going to really try to, they're not trying to shake the table for real, for real. Now they're good. They'll pull you aside. They might give you some advice and they might be really nice to you in private, but they're not going to go out of their way and be like, you need to stop doing X, Y, and Z to Zach. That's wrong. Right. Like they're not going to risk whatever little piece of approval they have. Like they're very much so focused on assimilating um, and frankly, making sure that folks don't freak, making sure that they, that people don't think too much about the fact that they're not white. You know what I mean? Wow. I hear you. And so like, and so I have, a, I have a bias and I've, and I've I shared this with somebody some time ago about like, and they ended up proving me right again, but like, this bias. I have a bias. You know, when I meet people who have been with an institution for like several, several, several years, I, you know, I just question, I question how much are they really doing and how willing, how, how much are they really pushing? Who are they advocating for? How much change are they really looking to make? Um, and again, everyone doesn't, everyone can't, everyone doesn't operate in that space. Dr. Cox, like I get that. Everyone doesn't operate in this, like, very loud forward, forward space, but, but, but there has to be some willingness to be coordinated with those who are on the outside, who are the disruptors, uh, right? It can't be like, we're this whole thing around gradual change over time or like, well, you know, we can, we can get there if we're just really genteel, if we're really genteel and, 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 and humble about like, that's not true. Like that's not, that's not going to happen. Yeah, that's like the Booker T. Washington mentality, as I call it. Like that was his approach, that gradual mm-hmm. approach. And so, you know what? I really can tell you, 
um, also continuing the thread of like what happened last year is that I used to be on the inside. So, you know, I can, I can really tell you about that mentality, but also the change in me or or what pushed me out a little bit. So, you know, I, I entered my organization as an administrator. Um, I was, I think the first black woman tenured faculty in, in my college. And I was also um, a department chair. So, you know, when I came in, I was informed or I thought that, you know, we were really trying to move the diversity, equity, and inclusion needle. And my definition of that is, you know, we're going to really look at underrepresentation. We're going to bring some people in. We're going to change the culture. Like we're going to move it like seriously. You know, if I'm there, we're going to, we're going to push. And what I realized over time is that there was misalignment between what I thought um, DEI was and what I could do in my role versus what the organization thought. And I I started using this term called stop playing diversity because I just remembered in my interview that I told people, you know, to look at my blogs, look at my social media, really figure out who I am because I'm not changing. Like if this is want, then please feel free to hire me, but please don't hire me if this is not what you want. And, you know, I was hired, but what I realized is that like when I started really pushing to say, you know, we're going to really have these conversations, we're going to dismantle some things, we're going to, you know, really try to be include, um, like include people. It was challenging. It was hard. I just mm-hmm. I don't think that system wanted that. And or, or maybe I think people didn't understand what that meant. And so getting back to an earlier question where you're like, well, how have I changed over the past year? Or, you know, I think now people are saying, yes, we need to be more intense about it. And if we're going to do this work, it needs to move the needle. Now, one thing I'm going to say is I was not reappointed in that position And there was a lot. There was a lot of drama in the unit, you know, a lot of pushback, um, just some stuff about like my social media presence and questions of did I really represent people, um, you know, in the organization? Well, you know, a lot of stuff. Right. Some some hurtful things. But, you know, I really was I I was consistent. I documented my life as a department chair using a hashtag department chair life. And, you know, if it was good it was good. If it wasn't good, then I said something about that as well. And I remembered before I left that um, I pretty much told the organization, they did some type of evaluation of me. And so, you know, it was split. Some people loved me, some people hated me. And, you know, I remembered it being put on me. And this is the first time I'm saying any of this, Zach. So, you know, you're getting like the um, exclusive interview here. But I I remembered you know, pushing back to the organization too, to say that it was not just on me to change a culture, it was on the organization. And, and I, you know, there, you know, I was asking, well, am I going to be reappointed? And they said, well, it depends on your responses. And I said, well, this is going to have to be a collective effort. Like I'm, yeah, I'm not just going to change and be like, oh, I'm going to be quiet or I'm not going to tweet. Like, that's not the response that you're going to get from me. Like, we are going to have to collectively do something. And I'm talking about 
um, you know, human resources is going to have to get involved. Uh, you know, other people are going to get involved and in diversity, equity and inclusion. What are we doing collectively to make sure that I'm not stressed out every day, but that our organization continues to move? Mm-hmm. So what happened is that um, I looked for jobs elsewhere um, just because I was like, I don't know. I don't know if I'm going to be reappointed. I don't know what's going to happen. Sure. And um, I had a meeting and I was informed that because I looked for jobs elsewhere, I was not going to be reappointed. So it, it could have been a ton of other stuff, you know, it could have been all the other things leading up to it. But, um, you know, that's what happened. And mm. I was pretty much pushed out of that position. And it was one of those things where I said, I am not going like things just have to be a certain way. Mm-hmm. And I know that in a system, you know, that choice was being made for me. But the thing that makes me laugh right now is that, you know, everything happened last year. You know, this was yes. this was February 2020. But the next month there was a pandemic in June. George Floyd was killed. In November, there was the election. And so that's what I mean when there was just this storm and everything that I had said, everything that I was really um, advocating for just kind of came out. And Mm -hmm. it's like, was Monica real? You know, was she telling the truth? And it's just different, you know? I mean, I know I'm, I'm saying a lot, But I guess I'm just letting you know, I'm going to summarize this by just saying when it comes to titles and positions, I was very hurt. When you when you talk about like my feelings being hurt, I was hurt, honestly, Um, in pain, like literally in pain, crying because, you know, I'd moved my family to this place and I really thought that I was going to make change. And, you know, the decision of a single person just stopped that. And I always wanted to be like a dean or I thought I was going to be a provost or a president. And I still may be. But I have seen firsthand how you can be really accomplished. But when one person makes a decision to come against you, it can shift your career. And that's the power of the patriarchy. That's the power of the system. That is the risk you take. And I will honestly say last year, I just really did a lot more social activism and it was a risk because I could have been pushed out even more, you know, people could not have followed me. But what I've seen is the opposite in terms of starting an organization, co-founding an organization, Black and Engineering, which is now a nonprofit. Um, You know, that (laughs) that organization is now nominated for a diversity award by our professional society, our engineering professional society. What's going on? Yeah. And so myself and some other colleagues are giving a distinguished lecture for that professional society. Um, We are really visible and, you know, and and I've seen the arrival of the first woman dean in the history of my college, but she's also a black woman. And a few days ago, it was announced that the provost of our university, of my university is a black woman as well. So I'm not saying it's, you know, because of me, but I'm saying that persistence and that being very vocal and that saying, look at black women, protect black women, there are issues and just knocking on the door of the provost, the president, and just being that activist, 
it it means something. But the last thing I'll say about that, Josh, I feel like I've talked for 10 minutes, but I'm still going to tell you this. Please edit as you would like, um, is that there's sometimes sadness that I have because I don't know what I have gained. And I'm being really honest with you. You know how you fight for other people and it's like, yeah, you got your your accolades, you got your stuff, but you know, I'm still up here hurt, still dealing with the things that I'm dealing with. And that's the part that I'm working through. If you really want to know the truth. Yeah. Feeling sometimes like I was a martyr. So other people could succeed, but where's my recompense? <sighs> Man, I, I really, I really empathize with that. Um, you know, like there's this, and it, and it follows, it follows this, the meta narrative of black women doing all the labor for the benefit of others and not getting their flowers, not getting their just due to your point, not getting their recompense. You know, I, I guess with that being said, like what advice would you give to other um, black academics, folks who are looking to speak up, create impact and how can they, you know, to the top interview, we talked about being true to yourself, staying whole. What advice would you have given yourself, you know, 18 months ago? Wow. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> I'm glad you asked this because I actually started a business in September 2020. So this is something else that happened. And the business, well, I had a business, but I rebranded my business. And it's the, the Dr. Monica Cox brand. And in that business, I said, I want to create things that weren't, that didn't exist for me. Like there are a lot of diversity, equity, and inclusion programs. It was like, but why am I going through what I'm going through? Like nothing helped me, nothing protected me. Mm. And, you know, what I was thinking, even in response to your question is that I would tell myself, focus on, and this is what I say in my business. So in my coaching with my clients and with different people, I have a very different model and a different approach. And what I would say is we're, we always start by focusing on your boundaries. Let's focus on your non-negotiables. Let's focus on who you are. Who do you want your ideal self to be? Because that's who you want to see at the end of this journey. And so often we don't start with, this is who as a person of faith, I say this, you know, this is who God made me to be. And I've been this way forever. And so I'll give you an example. Like I'm mouthy. I am, I am this communicator. I am so opinionated, but that's me. Like since I came out of the womb, that has been me. And so it didn't matter that I got a math degree or an engineering degree or any of those things. Monica Cox was going to be like the mouthy engineering educator, professor, whatever. And I feel that academia, like what I can't, when I came in, I squashed that. It was like, let me figure out what I have to do to play the game instead of saying, this is who I'm created to be. And I'm going to navigate this journey like as myself. And I get, you know, I, it's, it's so easy to tell people to be themselves, but I think too, this comes with a journey of really, um, having backup plans or really trying to think holistically about your life and not placing so much of your identity in an organization, mm. you know, so you, you have, and you also, a, an element of my coaching too is like accountability. So you make sure that you have people around you who, when gaslighting happens or when people try to tell you you're less than, it doesn't destroy you. It doesn't tear you down because your identity 
it's so strong. And that's that's my thing. You know, I mean, like I'm saying it from a bigger developmental perspective, but the approach really is focus on you all the time. Focus, I mean, focus on development of yourself and really reflecting and knowing who you are and who you will be, you know, as you take that last breath in life. You know, like would mm. you say, you know what? I live life in a way that mattered to me, you know, that reflected my values and reflected everything that I want my children and people to to know me for. You know, it's that part and digging in. And I just I, I think we lose it. As academics, as professionals, we focus so much on the money and the titles and the accolades that when we don't have that anymore, we're crushed or we compromise who we are to such a point that we no longer have integrity and courage. I love it. I love it. Dr. Cox, this has been dope. You know, we could go on forever. Um, I want to talk to you a little bit about, you know, your shout outs, right? Who do you want to kind of give some love to? What organizations are you working with? Uh, you already you alluded to some work that you've been doing uh, with, with your engineering colleagues, but I'd just love to give you some space to really shout, shout anybody out that you need to. Absolutely. So Black and Engineering um, is an organization that was founded after the murder of George Floyd. Um, so it is a space where we talk about um, awareness. We're promoting like faculty, um, students, researchers, practitioners and engineering. You know, we're just trying to make sure that um, they are safe in their environments and they're able to prosper in their profession. So it is a very organic organization co-founded by myself and my colleagues, Dr. Carlotta Berry and Dr. Tahira Reed. Um, and, and you know what? We're just trying to be the champions for people who maybe think they're alone. And we just let people know that as a community, we can do some really good stuff. And so that's that's also a point I want to make really quickly, where if we have learned nothing else from this pandemic, it's the power of collectivity and like never go back to these organizations feeling that you are alone because you're not alone at all. I'll shout out my organization when I see some change, but, you know, I'll do that. You know, I just thank everyone who's been supportive. You know, I thank my team. You know, I thank my family, my husband. You know, I feel like for me, it's just like all the support that I have. There are so many people, my Twitter family, um, you know, just just people who've helped me make it through, the people who've held my arms. Like, I, I feel like there's this collective support that even people like you have for me. Like, you acknowledge me, you value what I have to say. And you have really helped me to be encouraged in the midst of a lot of gaslighting and a lot of sadness that has happened, um, you know, within my organization. So really, it's just anyone who's helped me to get to where I am and the ones who are, are there batting for me and speaking for me and claiming me and, yeah, helping me move forward. Dr. Cox, it's a pleasure and it's an honor. Um, I'm excited. Uh, you have a fan in us. I hope that you can see yourself a friend of the show because we consider you a friend of the show. Um, and uh, we'll talk soon. Yeah. And follow me at Dr. Monica Cox. I mean, I hope all this information will be out there. But, you know, my business, DrMonicaCox.com, you know, please feel free to share all of that because I just want all of us to be whole and to get there together. It'll be right in the show notes. You know, we got you.
Thank you. I appreciate you. Thank you so much, Zach. Talk soon. Living Corporate is brought to you by The Leadership Range, a podcast within the Living Corporate Network, hosted by globally certified and Fortune 500 executive coach and leadership development expert Neil Edwards. The Leadership Range is focused on having real, raw, soulful and accountable conversations about inclusive leadership, allyship, professional development. Every week is a new episode with new learning and new actions to take on to grow inclusively. Make sure you check out The Leadership Range everywhere you listen to podcasts. And we're back. Yo, thank you so much to Dr. Cox. Shout out to all the work that you're doing. Make sure y'all follow Dr. Cox. Her, all of her links, her information is in the show notes. You'll learn more about her work. Shout out to black folks in STEM. Shout out to the black professors out there just in the trenches, right? It's so easy to downplay or not necessarily appreciate all the labor and harm uh, that these individuals are subjected to just to help create a healthier, more inclusive learning environment for folks that look like me. And so I just want to shout out, salute y'all, especially, you know what I'm saying? The black professors who aren't, you know, elitist because that's a conversation for another day, but I have talked to Dr. McClooney and a few other doctors out there. There'd be some snobs out there, but that's not the point of this. <laughs> shout out to, all my kinfolk professors and um yo make sure that you check out the merch all right we got no dope new merch in the merch store all right it's getting cool make sure you cop a hoodie or three got some dope designs i'm gonna put the link in the show notes make sure y'all peep that and um shoot tell a friend or three about living corporate on apple Podcasts. give us five stars continue to grow and pay attention, keep your eyes peeled. We got all the shows coming back this month, right? So we want a little bit of a break, took a season break. Um, just because look, man, all you know, hosts they get tired too. You no, know, ain't no Kevin Gates around here. We believe in rest and taking naps, amen. But all the shows are coming back this month and next month. So that's the break room, that's the group chat, that's the access point. So make sure you keep your eyes peeled. We'll be dropping continued ads and stuff like that on here. We'll let people know about it. But I'm just saying, livingcorporate.tv, get familiar if you're not familiar already. Shout out to Madison Butler, continues to drop super fire content on the blog. Shout out to Tristan. Shout out to Amy. Shout out to the whole Living Corporate team. Until next time, this has been Zach. Reject systems that are not for you. All right. Peace. Living Corporate is a podcast by Living Corporate LLC. Our logo was designed by David Dawkins. Our theme music was produced by Ken Brown. Additional music production by Antoine Franklin for Musical Elevation. Post-production is handled by Jeremy Jackson. Got a topic suggestion? Email us at livingcorporatepodcast at gmail.com. You can find us online on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and living-corporate.com. Thanks for listening. Stay tuned.